Hello and welcome to the first Real Scotland Roundtable audio uh, podcast. That's quite a lengthy title, but um, this is the first time we've the three of us have sat down to uh, to review a bunch of films um, rather than sitting and, and writing about them. Um, so my name is Jonathan Melville. We've also got round the table Ross McLean and Richard Bodzer. The last ten days or so have been uh, have seen us travel back and forth to Glasgow from Edinburgh for the 2011 Glasgow Film Festival. Um, so I think it was the seventh year, yeah. seventh year of the festival. So between us we've seen, well we haven't actually thought of them all up, but... Uh, I think I saw 16. I must have seen about 17, 18, something like okay, that. Okay, and I'm tailing behind with about uh, nine. Um, but my excuse for that is that I was actually trying to do some filming behind the scenes and interview a few people, which took me away from uh, actually watching the films. So what we're going to do is we'll, we'll run through... All the films that we saw within uh, two half-hour podcasts, um, and uh, we'll start off the opening film and then just uh, run through them rather haphazardly. But um, we'll try and mention as much as we can about each one. So the first one we're going to cover is Potiche, which was the opening night film, uh, French film by director Francois Ozon, mm-hmm. and um, I attended that. Ronald Ross, I um, didn't, and Richard didn't. Well, it was a period film, first of all, it's, it's worth saying. It was set in what, the late 70s, on the cusp of the 80s. That's right, and it was um, Catherine Deneuve and Gerard Depardieu were the main the main characters. And uh, the basic kind of plot is that Catherine Deneuve's, she's a trophy wife. and the her of the title. Uh-huh, and her husband runs an umbrella factory. Uh, um, sounds exciting so far. Uh, and he mm. is a bit, of a bit of a tyrant and not... Not that uh, generous to his workers, and then he and not exactly faithful to his wife either. And not faithful to his wife, but she knows about it, really, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. She knows about it. And uh, then she, he, uh, because of stress, he becomes ill, and she then has to to look after the factory. She kind of takes on the role of um, of manager. And um, so I mean, it, it kind of it, it brings in themes. It's workers' rights and trade unions, as well as the women's role in society at that time. It's, it's pretty, kind of bringing in some quite grand themes, mm-hmm. but uh, playing them as a kind of farce in many ways, like a kind of comedy, yeah. comedically. And then Jared Depardieu comes into it as an ex-flame of hers, um, and the whole thing really, it's it's fine. It, it, Sort of trips along nice and nice enough. Um, it's kind of bright and breezy. It's not really offensive, is it? I mean, I don't know what you thought of it. Um, it's... I mean, I would agree with you. I'd say it's fine. Um, I mean, I'm I'm quite a big fan of French films, and despite the, the the kind of quite stellar cast that they had, it didn't really do a lot for me. I thought the tone was a little bit all over the place. It looked really nice, but I think. From what from what little I've seen of Francois Ozon's work, I think I prefer his more serious stuff to his his more throwaway stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So I don't expect anything really hard hitting. Uh, Catherine Durov is very good. I think she's fine. It's nice mm-hmm. to see Gerard Depardieu on the screen. He seems to take up most of the screen these days. I'm a bit glad these days. Um, I was forget, a nice. I forget the actor's name, but the guy who played the husband, I think, was he he stole the film from me. I think he. He he didn't come across as likable, but what he did was very well played. Like he he kind of nailed the character for me, mm-hmm. kind of perfectly. Yeah, he was good. 
I mean, just on the subject of the opening film, I mean, I think Glasgow Film Festival kind of knows how to open the festival very well. It, it's informal, but at the same time, it does feel like an event. Um, I mean, just, just the little touches, like goodie bags and party and drinks flowing and everything afterwards, a real kind of, real nice atmosphere to it. And it just seems to work really well. It's a really... Um, Regardless of what the film is, it's a really nice event to start things off. And Gary Tank Commander was there, wasn't he? He was. Mark Miller and Gary Lewis, I saw, uh-huh. walking around. And as you say, very informal and people could, you could go up to him if you wanted to. Not that we would, of course. But, um, yeah, the Tank Commander. Well, Did you speak to him? No. Yeah. no. No. I think he was, he had more important people to talk to than us. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, but no, you're right, the, the whole actual the whole atmosphere was great and, and it was a nice nice kick off to the to the 10 days the next one that we saw Richard and myself was Cave of Forgotten Dreams the new documentary by Werner Herzog in 3D yeah um, not to give away the, the review beforehand but I think we both thought it was really something special yeah it was, it was great. absolutely fantastic and well, I missed I missed that one um, just because of timing I think but you're a bit of a Herzog fanboy Ross aren't you? Oh, absolutely, and I know Richard is as well. Yeah. So it was it was one that as soon as it was announced in the program, it was one that I was it was probably top of my list of things I was looking forward to. Something I've been looking forward to since first hearing about it, and I was delighted that it was going to be shown, um, especially in 3D because I understand the release of the film, not all screenings are going to be in 3D. What was it about then? What What was the... Well, it was... It's about the Chauvet Caves in southern France where uh, I think in the 90s they discovered um, prehistoric cave paintings. Yeah, they are. Like the, yeah, the cave paintings in there. And I think they were 32, 33,000 years old. Yeah, somewhere. But they look absolutely vivid and untouched for all those years. Yeah. He got unparalleled access to these caves to go in with his team and and kind of look around and it's almost a film of two halves the first half is very much kind of quick footage he's just going in he's grabbing it when he can yeah because they kind of I mean, he even says that you're going to see like the cameramen in the way and stuff like that and there's some points that's when the 3d is not too good because mm-hmm. there's a couple of shots where it's kind of like blurry isn't well, it's not too sharp but i mean it's kind of like like Ross was saying, they're just kind of getting as much as they can. I mean, the, the shots aren't composed. Yeah, the first they're, half. they're, they're yeah, very exactly. much kind of rough and ready. Grab what we can. Yeah, you do get an element of the three D does work, and you do get a, an essence of what the cave itself feels like. But you don't necessarily get a good look or a good feel of what the the images look like. Yeah, uh, but then the second half they get access again to kind of without uh, unaccompanied access yeah exactly so then they, he sort of sets up the shots I mean the only thing I, I mean the shots are good but I kind of felt like I'd already seen some of the images a few too many times when it's kind of like a slow pan for a while um, with the same images that you've already seen because there's yeah. not that many of them I mean it's not like the whole caves I mean for me that wasn't a big problem I mm. mean I'm, I'm quite fascinated by everything about it and the fact that there is this art which looks so fresh and so modern in many ways that it just seeing it's brilliant but I, I, I can see where you're coming from especially towards the end there's a few yeah, I mean, it kind shots of, where it, it repeats the same image from a slightly different angle yeah exactly I mean, but the, the detail in those images I never got bored by it 
because the detail in those images is so just eye-popping mm. and with the 3D, like literally eye-popping. Um, it, it was really good and it, it had Herzog's kind of classic, slightly askew tone. Yeah, was and some funny sorry, moments yeah, and deadpan humour, sort of chatting up with a guy that's... Uh, the, demonstrating the this, flute man. <laughs> yeah, he's demonstrating some sort of spear throwing type oh, thing. Oh yeah, Herzog just lets him keep going, and he's going throwing it, like timid attempts at throwing this uh, spear, and then I don't want to give it away, but the the postscript coda at the end yeah. is just unadulterated. Yeah, Herzog. So, yeah, I didn't even know how he was going to tie that in. It's kind of like like there's no point in it comes completely it, from yeah. left field, and yeah. it just. It just absolutely ties up the film perfectly and it just sets off what could be quite a dry documentary on mm. some caves. Right, well, the next one, I'm guessing, again, is not one I didn't see, sadly, but uh, Submarine. Um, what can you tell, tell us about that one? Richard? I'll let you do the introduction. No, Ross. Well, it's the, the directorial debut of Richard Iowadi, who's, who's probably best known as a, a comic actor from... Moss from the IT crowd and Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. He plays Dean Lerner. It's like, like a, a it's a coming of age. Yeah, a coming of age film about. Uh, it's easy to describe him as a kind of teenage loner, but he, he certainly doesn't know where he fits in yeah. within his school, and he's interested in more artistic and esoteric things than his mm. peers. And it meets the girl. It's nothing really. So I mean, it, it's not highly like the story itself is not exactly highly original i mean on paper it sounds like Your boy son. meets girl yeah quirky teen romance yeah i mean it does have a lot of it is quite like that but there's a lot of other stuff i would say there's a lot going on yeah it? Exactly. and i mean the, his influence isn't from what he suggested in the q a and from the look of the film mm. his influence isn't what you'd expect it's not influenced by british comedies it's more influenced by i suppose french new wave films yes yeah. and uh, things like that than it is and not uh, Wes Anderson well, well that, that seems to be what <laughs> people are saying I mean I can see the odd uh, really basic link with Wes Anderson but there's nothing mm. I think that would that you would say he's a British Wes Anderson or anything yeah. I mean maybe you'll get Paddy Considine as the Bill Murray character and <laughs> just pop up in the mall I mean, well, Paddy Considine's worth talking about in the film uh, I mean he's first of all he's very funny yeah but I couldn't help but think that maybe his performance sometimes didn't quite fit in with the tone of the rest of the film. It was funny, undeniably funny, but I'm not sure if it could have been toned down a little bit. No, I thought he was really funny. I mean, the, the, I mean, I did see the. I see. I see where you're coming from. That you think it's maybe the OTT and the the voice was kind of. Well, there was sort of, elements of Le Donk and yeah. I mean, I don't want to be too negative about it because, I mean, it was an absolutely amazing film. Mm. I was consistently entertained. It was funny, but it was also really touching. It had a really sweet love story in the centre of it. It was really well shot as well. I thought it was really well made. It looked really good. I mean, all the supporting performances, Sally Hawkins, um, Noah Taylor. Yeah, he was, was good. All excellent. Um, I mean, it, it was it was quite a sad film as well in many ways. It, quite melancholic and... It really was a great debut, I think. Yeah, no, I, mean, I think totally, yeah, definitely. Okay, well, uh, one that I have actually seen, uh, and which I saw in, when I turned up, Ross, was 
was there loitering in the back row was uh, Mark. Don't, don't make it sound sleazy. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a sleazy way. It was quite an empty screening though, wasn't I it? Sadly, it but... That makes it sound even worse. Yeah, it does. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, well... Let's just say I was sitting in a seat. You were sitting yeah. in a seat and I turned up. And there were lots of other people there. Uh, and it was Wakewood. That was the film. Yeah. Uh, which New Hammer film. New Hammer film. That's really all I knew about it. Um, I knew it was going to be, well, Hammer, horror, there's going to be a horror, something, some sort of horror element, but I hadn't really paid much attention to anything else. So what did you know about it before you went into it? Um, oh, I, we've discussed here the new Hammer film. I knew it was, um, it was drawing some kind of comparisons with Wicker Man style, um, small town, rural happenings. Um, I'd seen it described as an instant folk horror classic. Wow. By a, a reviewer who shall remain nameless. It sounds promising. It does. Five stars. Five stars. So well, I was I was really looking forward to it. I'd I'd had my expectations built up quite high. And then the film started. Yeah. <laughs> and it went downhill from there, really, didn't it? Was it that bad? What was it? I, I, I didn't it think really it was that bad. I, I didn't think it was a five star film, but. Well, it stars Aidan Gillen. Aidan Gillen's the main, mm-hmm. the main actor, who's a very good actor. Yeah. He is, and I, I can't remember the, sadly the, the, the woman's name in it either. But I mean, he's really getting twelve Eva, rounds. Twelve Eva rounds. Thistle, Bert Whistle. Okay. I'm not sure on the pronunciation. Okay, I like well, Aiden and Gillen. Timothy Spall as well. I like yeah. Aidan Gillen. Though. I didn't know Timothy Spall was going to be in it, but um, so within the opening minutes, we see uh, this young family. Aidan Gillen plays the father, um, so he's a he's a vet. We, uh, we hear this, see all this in sort of the first five minutes. He's a vet. We've got a little girl um, who they love very much, and I think it's her birthday, isn't it? I think it is. I think it's her birthday because they're sort of. Um, she gets a hamster. Gets a hamster. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, things are going all very nicely and too nicely for a, for a hammer film. Really, she leaves to go down the road, and um, for some reason goes into the. Uh, I guess it must be the vets. Yeah, off, and there's sort of. a. And there's a, a dog. An angry dog. There's an angry dog in a cage. And she, <coughs> for whatever reason, opens the, the gate. What an idiot. I know. You're sitting there going, I'm not sure this is a good idea. And the dog, well, you don't see it. They're very, they're very careful to cut away. Um, it's not nothing too violent or gory. But, a few um, sort of cutaways with dogs, I think, in horror films. Yeah. And uh, basically the girl dies. And it's not really a huge spoiler because it happens in the first five minutes. Mm. And that's the main. The well, main that's the thing to, of the story. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, so after that, the the couple then well, move. They, they move to the eponymous Wakewood. To Wakewood, which is a slightly run-down little, little village. I think you see a pharmacy sign or a chemist sign hanging off. And it's worth saying it's in Ireland. The, it's the in whole Ireland. set in Ireland. Both things in Ireland, yeah. And the, the locals aren't quite what they seem. Yeah. Uh, especially Timothy Spall. Well, his accent is not what it seems. Struggling it? with a faltering accent. Really, I mean, none of that sounds probably very original, and it kind of isn't. I mean, I think we've seen a lot of these sort of things before. There's, there's kind of don't look now elements to the story, uh, but nowhere near as successful. I, I mean, I, I don't want to be too down on it. I, there was a lot I liked about it. Um, Aidan Gillen's very good. The acting, I thought, was generally pretty good, accents aside. Um, so it's really like they've thrown lots of bits in from other films, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And you do, I do wonder how they, when they were considering making it, that they didn't realise that, or if they did, they thought, let's have like a greatest hits and, mm. and try something new, but no, I mean, it's not a total disaster, and, and Timothy Spall is quite good, and I say Aidan Gillen's not bad, and there's a few sequences in there that are alright, but 
Apparently it has been given, it's going to be sent straight to DVD, um, which is probably the best place for it. I mean, I don't, I, I'm, again, I'm not even sure I'd recommend it on DVD. It's fine if you've maybe not seen all those other things. If you're looking for something, something new and original, you're, this isn't the place to go. Um, I think you'd maybe have to be quite new to horror or or maybe yeah, I mean, not too au fait with, with the... Anyone familiar with the genre can kind of see where things are going. It's, mm. it's quite signposted to a lot, a lot of it. So the next few films we're going we're gonna to cover, um, or maybe you want to see. Actually. Well, I mean, there's, there's three European films. Mm. Two of them are French, one of them is Spanish. The two French ones share a lead actor in Gilles Lelouch. Uh, the first one is Point Blank which is from Fred Cavaillé, the, the guy who directed Poor L, or, or Anything for Her, which was remade as The Next Three Days quite recently. Uh, so it was his new thriller. And if you've seen The Next Three Days or Anything for Her, the story will probably seem a bit familiar. Yeah, I watched it. I remember the first sort of 10, was it the first sort of maybe 10 minutes? It's like he's got to break someone out of a hospital, like in that, and he's... Um, there's something else. It's something exactly I mean, it's, the same. It's very much in the same vein. It's, it's got to save his wife and break some break out of hospital. The innocent man, yeah. the wrong man, the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. All these kind of elements which you've seen in Tell No One and you've seen in Anything for Her and um, that's that's very much the central. Yeah, I mean, but all those are done very well and I'd say this is done very well as well. It is. It's completely consistent. It's relentless. The pace is good. It never says it's welcome. Yeah. It just keeps on ticking along nicely. Nice performances. Oh yes, yeah, like an hour and it's like a short hour and twenty minutes. There seems to be a little kind of subgenre in France building up of these so, kind of ordinary Joes yeah. battling against the odds to 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 clear their name or save their wife. Yeah. Well, I mean they are re really well done, um, and I think that was really well done. Obviously. The tie-in, there's a few tie-ins with that in Little White Lies, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we mentioned Tell, Tell No One, yeah. which was directed by Guillaume Canet, who yeah. also directs Little White Lies, mm. and as I said, stars Gilles Lelouch. That one's not as good. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> it's certainly a stretch to call it a thriller, because I, I struggle to find anything thrilling about it. I didn't, I didn't, not, I didn't not like it. I didn't think it was that bad. Um, I mean, the, the first thing to say is that it's two hours thirty five minutes long. Yeah, um, which is a bit indulgent for. Uh, would you call it like a family drama? Well, one of those sort. Of, I don't. I mean, even, that's I don't the thing. Well, they're not even a family. Yeah, right? I mean that was the problem, right? It's at the start. There's like this group. Um, someone gets who's who's it? The plays the uh, Jean Dujardin yeah. from the OSS. Yeah, so he gets run over by a truck or something like that and then they, he's in the hospital um, and all these who at first I assumed were family and friends sort of well they've all got a, they all share one of the problems I had was that a lot of the, the male actors in it share that kind of particular Gallic look uh, and they, they look like they could be family yeah. and they act like they could be family yeah, but they're actually friends and it's about them going on like a, a holiday in one of their 
in the wake of this guy's accident. Yeah, and I mean, that's it. That's the story. And he, um, he goes with them, I take it. No, no he's he like, lies in the hospital bed the oh, whole time. Right, okay. And they just party and stuff like oh, that's that. That's nice. That's one of the biggest disappointments for me because mm. Jean Desjardins from the OSS 117 films who plays that guy mm. is an absolutely fantastic comic actor. Yeah. He's great, yeah. And he's he's absolutely brilliant. So is, he, is, he, is it comic? Is and he, he gets... He gets he gets very little to do in the film. Most of the film with him, he's in the opening two minutes and then the rest of the time you see him, he's comatose in a bed. So for me, it was a complete waste. So they got his name on the poster, but... He, yeah. he appears briefly yeah. in another scene without uh, without going into it, but he's it's a wasted opportunity, especially because Gilles Lelouch is in a comic role mm. and possibly Jean Desjardins would have been... I quite liked, I quite liked him in that. Well, he was, he was fine in it. But yeah, it's basically about them, sort of what's going on in their lives, and that's it. But it, it, it took me so long to realise that they weren't family and they were just friends because they're not. They don't look like friends at all. Well, I mean, you've got never... the main guy from Tell No One. Mm-hmm. What's his name? I forget his name, but he's well, the lead actor. From yeah, Tell and no One. obviously you see him, and then you look at the rest of them, um, and there's no way. I mean, that he looks like their dad. And for ages, I thought that they were the dad, and I thought that was his sister, and I was like, is this sort of going incest or something? And then it was really just that they were all friends. They never hang together. One of the central problems I have, apart from the length, is that they never, ever convinced me that they're a group of friends. No. Marion Cotillard's in it. Mm. Um, I mean, it's kind of an all-star French cast. I mean, I think, if I'm right in thinking, it broke French box office records last year, the highest grossing... French film for I mean, it does for a have a couple anyway. of laughs in there they're not there. there are laughs but my problem is that the laughs they're quite easy laughs yeah. and they're they, they set certain elements of the film up as a comedy and then yeah. <laughs> three quarters of the way through flip that and expect you to care when they suddenly mm. turn the same strand to a drama um, I mean I just thought for me there was very little that worked there were scenes I thought were embarrassing like the whole thing was indulgent I mean there's scenes where you've got one whole song playing for one scene and then it just cuts another song it's like two long montage like a 15 minute montage of just nonsense Um, and that happens that's basically it it's like over long um, if you've seen the it's really badly cast even though it's a good cast it's badly cast for the parts I mean if you've seen the plus 10 episode of This Life that was that was the biggest touch point for me. It just reminded me of that plus ten episode of this life. This group of friends get together, and they've all got their their problems, and they're all dealing with them in different ways. And it, the whole tone struck me as that, which isn't a good thing. And I mean, the, there will be people out there. There will be an audience for it, and I think it probably will do reasonably well for a a, a French film being released in the UK. I think it will do quite well. Yeah. And the other one I didn't see, but it was uh, Cell 211. Well, I was the only one of the three of us to see it, yeah. which is, um, I would, I would quite like to have a discussion on it. Uh, I'll sort of just go into it very briefly. But it's a Spanish thriller, I think released in Spain in 2009. Uh, looks like it's finally getting a release here this year. Um, Spanish prison drama. The lead character is a new prison warden. He's, he goes into his work at the prison a day early to kind of to learn the ropes, which just happens to coincide with a riot, uh, which which breaks out. He is injured and he's put in the cell two one one of the title and awakes to find himself 
in the midst of a riot and has to convince the rest of the inmates that he is one of them. Um, the, the ringleader of the inmates is a character called Mala Madri, who's played by Louis Tosar, who's who's done a few American films. He's in Miami Vice. Um, and I, I, it escapes me what else he's in. But he's absolutely fantastic. He's the, the alpha male of the, the inmates. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really, really well-played thriller. It's got a lot to say. It's hard-hitting. It's gripping. It's 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 just a very very well done thing, and uh, I would I mean I would recommend anybody goes to see it before the inevitable remake, which according to IMDb is already penciled in by Paul? none other than Paul Haggis, uh, who, who seems to be marking himself <laughs> out as a a remaker of European thrillers. That was Cell Two One One. That was Cell Two One One. Okay. All right, so the final two films we're going to cover in this one, uh, I think, are films that only I've seen, uh, Griffith Invisible and Balibo. Um, Both got an Australian theme, haven't Actually, you? they have, yeah, um, which is kind of unintentional. Both of them are made in Australia, yeah, Australian-funded. Uh, Griffith Invisible is a superhero film, uh, or is it? It's a, it's a funny one. It's um, about a chap called Griff, who played by Ryan Quantin. Is that Vinny from Home and Away? Was he in Home and Away? I'm not sure. They've all been in Home and Away. Yeah, he would have been. Uh, he's definitely been in True Blood. He's the he's one of the main... I don't watch True Blood, but I know he's one of the main uh, Anytime Anytime I turn on, he's always in it. He's always having sex right. with something. Okay. So he's in that. Well, that's him. And he was also in Red Hill, which was at the Edinburgh Film Festival last year. Which was all right. Panther or something? Yeah, which had, had potential. So this one is very different to Red Hill. It's about his character who, at the start of it, you see him sitting in his uh, in his flat and it's done up a little bit like kind of a, a bat cave or something. He's got these uh, computer screens and TV screens and he's watching what's going on around him in the city. And the idea is that he's this masked Avenger that goes around helping people. And for the, the, the opening, well, the first sort of 10 minutes or so, uh, you see him dressed up in this... Um, superhero costume and, and saving people from certain death and things. But as the film goes on it kind of you start to wonder is this real? Is it really is this really what's happening or is it in his head? So how does it fit in with there's a kind of current crop of revisionist superhero films like Kick Ass and like uh, Defender and things like that. Well this one spin on it is very much this kind of uh, is it real or or isn't it thing. It's it's all to do with his men- his mental state. Um as well as him going around supposedly saving people, there's this, uh, this other part of the plot is about him falling in love with his brother's girlfriend, who's a scientist, uh, or at least she's, she's an expert with, uh, with, um, with science. I don't think she's actually a scientist, but she, she has this thing where she, uh, she'll sit down and jot down diagrams of molecules, and she sort of theorises that if uh, all the molecules in the door line up at the right time and you're leaning on that door and you'll fall through that door. If your molecules join up with the molecules of the door, then you'll fall through it and the gaps in the molecules, very odd little things. So she's kind of got this, this skewed vision of life, as has Griff. And so they kind of sync up. It sounds more cerebral than, than kick-ass. It's, it's verging on cerebral, yeah. It's certainly, it, 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 well, it does make you think, but it's more just you're actually sitting there trying to work out what's what's going on. I mean, does it mark the director out as one to watch in the same way that, I suppose, Monsters 
it's a cerebral kind of take on the the monster film and marks out Gareth Edwards as a, a name to watch. Would you would you say that's fair? I'd like to see what he's got next. Yeah, I'd like to see his next film because uh, to say too much more would, would obviously spoil it, and so I don't want to say too much about that. But and the second one that I saw, which, which you haven't seen, is Balibo. It's about it's based on a true story about um, some journalists back in the 1970s, late 70s, who, um, Australian journalists, who go to East Timor to investigate what's happening there. And they are, well, they're killed. It's not really a spoiler. Again, that's one of the main points of the film. They're killed pretty early on. And the film starts in the present day with one of the, with a woman who, there's an investigation going on into what happened. And this woman who's in, who's interviewed it then flashes back to when she was a little girl and she was seeing the atrocities happening which is quite a, quite a nice way to start it the main thrust of the story is when Anthony LaPaglia comes into the film he plays this uh, this Australian journalist Roger East who is kind of um, not washed up but his career I think he's sort of seen the best days of his career and he's living in Australia and he gets approached by someone from East Timor to to go across and find out what's been happening. And he's very reticent to go because he's quite safe and he's got a well-paid job doing, I think, PR or communications for, for, for the government. So he doesn't need need this in his life. Um, but then he starts finding out more about these basically kids, uh, young journalists that have gone out, and he goes across to, to investigate. And um, it takes a little while to get going again, but it's, it's a pretty hard-hitting film. Without, as I say, without spoiling it, the, these guys do get killed, and it takes a while to build up to that. But when when it does happen, it's kind of gut wrenching, really, the way that they they cover that. Um, and Lapalli is fantastic in it. He's got a real kind of heavyweight uh, part here. Not an easy watch uh, with with a message, so it's maybe going to be a tricky one to sell. And, and it has been hanging around for a couple of years now, and they're still taking it to festivals. But definitely worth what looking out for. Right, so that's the, the end of the first podcast. We've covered quite a few films there, and we'll just wrap this up quickly, and then um, you can find us again in part two.